0: Um, Our first presentation um, tonight is entitled The Mystery of Death, and before we get into God's Word, let's go ahead and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we want to thank you so much for this day, Lord. We want to thank you for seeing us through another week, and Lord, we thank you that we've seen throughout this seminar, Lord, that your Word can be trusted, Lord, that your Word can be relied upon, and uh, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to base our faith off your Word, that we would live by faith and that you would um, be here with us tonight, Lord, that you touch our hearts and draw us close to you is our prayer. And we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have you ever looked death squarely in the face and wondered what happens when you die? I'm sure it's a question that we've all wondered uh, at, at times in our lives. Our atheist friends would say that our physical body is all there is and that when you die, you're buried, and that's it. No more. Life's over. It's finished. It's all done. If you ask some of our Hindu or Buddhist friends, they will say that uh, when you die and you fulfill your karma, you'll come back in reincarnation. You may come back as a cow. You may come back as a servant. Whatever you come back as, um, you will come back as something so that you can learn the lessons that you failed to learn in this life. That's reincarnation. Many Christians would say that when you die, that your immortal soul goes immediately to heaven or to hell. They say that if you've been bad, you go to hell, and if you've been good, you go to heaven, right? So that's what many say. Uh, Then most of our Catholic friends would say, well, if you haven't been quite good enough to go to heaven, and you haven't been bad enough to go to hell, you'll go to this place called purgatory. Anybody ever heard of purgatory? I'm sure. Well... Apparently, purgatory isn't as bad as hell, and it's not as good as heaven, so it's kind of like this limbo phase, and uh, people hope that maybe a living relative will pay some extra money and get them out of this limbo phase of purgatory and into heaven. That's what some people believe. And then you go to some Protestant funerals, and the preacher will say that the person is awaiting the resurrection at the second coming of Jesus. But then later, the same preacher will say that the person's soul is in heaven. And it leaves people wondering, well, where exactly is this person? Are they in heaven? Are they sleeping? What what is going on? So many people are very perplexed about this subject of death. So tonight we want to uh, answer the following questions. Uh, Question number one, is death the end? Question two, are the dead asleep waiting for the resurrection when Jesus comes, or are they in heaven already? Question three, is the soul immortal, or is there a resurrection? And this is a crucial question, friends, because if the soul is immortal, then it could go either to heaven or hell immediately after death. And if the soul is immortal, then the dead could actually talk to the living, and if the soul is immortal, that opens up the way for the possibility of reincarnation, as we saw the Hindus and Buddhists believe. So this whole issue of death has to do with the question of immortality. Do we have immortality now, or, do we, uh, or is immortality given to us at the second coming of Jesus? So where do many people go for their answers about death? Well, often people go to the bookstore and they go to the bestseller rack and they see that there are a whole bunch of different books about heaven and hell and the afterlife. And so they pick up these books that, and many of them have achieved bestseller status. Um, And most of these books teach that when a person dies, they're not really dead. Many of them even teach that the dead can actually communicate with the living. But should these books be the authority for us as Christians? No. No, they should not. What should be our source of authority? Our authority as Christians. The Bible. God's word. Amen? Amen. We want to follow the Bible. And I believe that the Bible is the only place where we can get reliable answers about this topic of death. It reveals not only what happens when you die, but it also reveals how to face death with confidence and with hope. So let's go tonight first to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, and we will see what it says about death. In the very first chapter of Revelation, it introduces us to the person of Jesus. After all, the book of Revelation is the revelation of who? Jesus it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, as it says in Revelation 1.1. And here in Revelation chapter 1, Jesus is dressed in a glowing white robe, and his eyes are like flames of fire, the Bible says. And there in Revelation 1.18, Jesus says this. He says, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. So friends, the reason that we need not fear death is because Christ conquered death. Amen. He died and rose again. On the cross, we know that Jesus bore the condemnation of our sins. And since the Bible says the wages of sin is death, Jesus experienced death for us, for you and for me. And praise God, friends, he came out of that grave victorious. And therefore, he has the keys of Hades and of death, the Bible says. He has keys of the grave. Therefore, we can trust Jesus and we can trust his holy word to help us understand this mystery of death. So let's go back now to the book of Genesis. Back to the creation week. Because if we can understand what happened in the beginning and how we were created, then we can understand What happens when we die. So let's go to Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. The Bible says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. That's the first component. We're we're made up of dust. That's what uh, Adam's body was formed out of. And then it says that God breathed into his nostrils what? The breath of life. That would be the second component. And man became a living soul, the Bible says. So the formula reads this. Dust plus breath equals a living soul. Now, what is a living soul? Well, a living soul is simply a living person. Even the King James or the New King James NIV and the New American Standard Bible translators knew this and they translated that phrase, a living soul, they translated it, a living being. So Adam became a living being or a living person. So I don't have a soul. I am a soul. I am a living being. And I'm a person, and so are you. Amen? Amen? So another name for soul in the Bible is simply person or life. And that is a really important point to understand. And the different Bible translators often reflect this understanding even. For example, the King James and New King James both translate Ezekiel 18.4 in this way. It says, "...behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine." The soul who sins shall what? Die. 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 That is because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. death. Okay, let's look at a couple other translations. The, the today's English version translates that same verse in this way. It says the person who sins is the one who will die. And the living Bible says it is for a man's own sins that he will die. So here we see that a soul is a person and uh, a person who sins will Die. the Bible says that is the wages of sin is death so friends there is no such thing in the Bible as an immortal soul in fact the King James Bible uses the word soul 1600 times and never once does it use the words immortal soul or immortality of the soul you will not find it anywhere in the Bible in any translation and that is because only God is immortal so let's define these terms mortal and immortality Mortal means subject to death. We are all mortal, right? Subject to death. Immortal means imperishable or not subject to death. Notice who is described as immortal here in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Here Paul writes, he says, He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who what? Alone Alone has immortality dwelling in unapproachable light. Mm -hmm. So who alone has immortality? God alone, that's right. And earlier in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, Paul writes this. He says, Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So here we see the king is immortal. God alone is immortal. Is that clear? Yes. But we humans are mortal. And the Bible says that we won't receive our immortality until the resurrection. Let's take a look further at this. Paul describes this event in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52, by saying that this mortal must put on immortality. Yes, of course, friends, when we come to Christ and we accept him as our Lord and Savior, he gives us the gift of eternal life. Amen? Amen. But the gift of immortality does not come, in, it, it doesn't come until the second coming of Jesus. That is when the gift of immortality is given to God's people. In Romans chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, Paul says, God will render to each one, according to his deeds, eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good, seek for glory, honor, and what? Immortality. So here, God will give eternal life and immortality to those who are seeking it, to those who are putting God first in their lives. And that is what we want to do. Amen? Amen. So the bible is very clear on this issue of immortality so the question begs to be asked well where did this idea of the immortal soul come from if it didn't come from the bible where did it come from well it came from pagan greek philosophy you see the greeks taught that the soul could live separately from the body they taught that the soul was a distinct entity which had life on its own but the Bible teaches that human beings are an integrated unit made up of physical, mental, and spiritual components. And these components are inseparable. So these pagan Greek philosophers, they bought into the lie that Satan told way back in the beginning. Back in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 4, the Bible says that the devil was talking to Eve and he said, You will not surely die. The devil wanted Eve to think that she would never suffer the consequences of her sin that part of her would always live on and that she would never experience death so this concept of the immortal soul actually seems to have come straight from the devil's playbook friends way back in the beginning back in genesis spiritualism also teaches that the soul is immortal and that when you die there is this essence that lives on it teaches that you can come back and, and uh, that the dead can come back and actually communicate with the living. And this belief system is spreading like wildfire, friends. When you when you watch uh, what's going on in Hollywood and the entertainment industry, they are promoting this concept of spiritualism in, in almost every film um, with dead loved ones coming back and talking. And, and on TV, you see spirit mediums and people want to... Uh, talk to psychics and figure out what's what's going to be happening next and and it's it's really crazy how quickly it's spreading so the devil uses these false ideas about death to deceive us his evil angels can masquerade as our dead loved ones even and they can also bring they can also appear as angels of light the bible says and they can bring us uh, so-called messages from beyond the grave they can mislead us into accepting satan's lies but I don't know about you, friends, but I don't want my beliefs to come from spiritualism or from pagan Greek philosophy. I want my beliefs to come from this book. Amen? From the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 says this, For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers, that would be his, the other fallen angels, also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works so satan and his angels can appear to be good angels and even our dead loved ones so it's vital that we understand what the bible teaches on this issue of death the bible says in 1 john chapter 4 verse 1 do not believe every spirit but do what test, test the spirits whether they are of god because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So how do we test them, friends? We test them by the word of God, don't we? The Bible says in Isaiah eight twenty, to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is how much light? No, light? no light in them. So friends, if some angel or some dead loved one appears to you and tells you things that are contrary to the word of God, there is how much light in them? no light in them. Tell them to leave in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. So we've seen already thus far tonight that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, that we are made up of dust plus breath. And that is what makes us a living soul or a living being, a living person. And when it comes to death, the Bible teaches that death is simply creation in reverse. Ecclesiastes 12, 7 says that when a person dies, then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. So when a person dies, the body goes back to the earth, and it decomposes, and it eventually turns back into dust. And the spirit, or the breath of life, goes back to God who gave it. Now notice there's something interesting about this word spirit. The Old Testament Hebrew word for spirit is ruach. Can you guys say that with me? Ruach. There you go. Now you know one Hebrew word, ruach. Okay, so this word um, actually means breath. So spirit and breath are synonymous. They are equivalent terms. So let's look at an example of this uh, in the Bible. In Psalm 104, verse 30 and 29, it says, You send forth your spirit, that's the ruach, and they are created. And you take away their breath, their ruach, they die and return to their dust. So here we see that both spirit and breath are from the very same Hebrew word. So God gives his spirit or breath and we are created. And God takes away his spirit or breath and we die. In James chapter 2 verse 26, the Bible says, The body without the spirit or breath is dead. So without the life-giving power that comes from God, we would all be dead, the Bible says. Let me illustrate it another way. Let me illustrate it with this light bulb. This bulb represents the body. Now, to get light, I need this bulb, but I also need more than just this bulb. I need power to get to that light bulb, right? And the power comes through the power cord and into the bulb, and it produces light. But what happens when you unplug the lights? Well, the power goes back to the powerhouse, right? And that power represents God's spirit or God's breath. So since the power to create life is with God, his spirit which gave life returns to him when? At death. So if that is clear, let me hear you say amen. Amen. Okay. All right. It sounds like you're tracking with me here. So some may wonder, The question, well, is there any consciousness in death? Are people aware that they're actually dead? Let's see what the Bible says. Psalm 146 verse 4 says, His spirit or his breath departs, he returns to his earth, and in that very day his plans perish. Now the, the King James Version says, in that very day his thoughts perish. So there is absolutely no consciousness in death according to the Bible. Uh, Also, Ecclesiastes 9, 5, and 6 says, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know how much? They know nothing. How much is nothing? Nothing. It's nothing, right? (laughs) Zero. Nada. And why is it that they know nothing? It's because there is no consciousness in death. The breath has simply returned to God, and the body has gone back to the dust, and they are simply resting safe and secure. If the soul went to heaven when you died, at least there would be love to God, right? But the Bible says in verse 6, it says their love and their hatred and their envy have now what? Perished. Perished. Why is that? It's because they are simply sleeping. The Bible teaches that death is like a sleep that lasts until the second coming of Christ. Bible writers declare that death is a sleep more than 50 times throughout the Bible. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 and 52. He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That is, we will not all be dead when Jesus comes again. Amen? Amen. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Hallelujah. Amen? In Psalm 13, verse 3, David says, Consider and hear me, O Lord my God, and enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. So here again, we see that in the Bible, death is simply a rest. It's a sleep. 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 and 10 says, Now the days of David drew near that he should die. So David did what? Rest. He rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. Does that mean that he just took a nap with his fathers? No, his fathers were already dead. It means that he simply went to sleep. He died and was waiting for the resurrection. Now, David was a man after God's own heart, wasn't he? The Bible says but we also know that David had some struggles, didn't he? He committed adultery with Bathsheba, but praise God he was able to, he repented of that and restored into a right relationship with the Lord, and God forgave him and continued to use him throughout his life. And you would think that if there was anyone in heaven right now, It would be David right a man after God's own heart but look at what it says in Acts chapter 2 verses 29 and 34 Peter says this he says men and brethren let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day for David did not ascend into where the heavens but he's but he says himself the Lord said to my Lord sit at my right hand so there you have it friends David isn't in heaven. Instead, he's resting in the grave, awaiting the coming of Christ. And with that being said, the Bible does tell us that there are at least three people that we know of that are in heaven right now. Let me explain. Enoch is one of them. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5 says, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he should not see death. That means that he was translated and was not found because God had taken him, for he was taken For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Friends, I want that to be said of of me. And I hope that will be said of all of us. Amen? That we pleased God. And then there was also Elijah who was taken to heaven. 2 Kings 2, 2 verse 11 says, Then it happened as they, that is Elijah and Elisha, continued on and talked, that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into where? into heaven. So Elijah is also in heaven and also Enoch. And they represent those who will be alive and taken to heaven without dying at the second coming of Jesus. That is those people that will be translated at the coming of Christ. Then Moses died and he was resurrected according to Jude 9. And he is example to the righteous dead who will be resurrected at the second coming. And as we see here in Luke chapter 9, verse 30, that the two men who talked with Jesus were, were who? Moses. Moses and Elijah. And this happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. This was a literal event that took place. And friends, we want to base our beliefs on the Bible, as we've mentioned. Amen? Amen. But unfortunately, there are many people in our world today that are basing their beliefs on their feelings on their experiences, or on the experiences of others, and they're taking that above the Bible. And friends, this is a very dangerous thing to do. Some of you have probably heard of um, the, the phrase out-of-body experience or near-death experience. Well, these, these experiences are being used as evidence that we have a soul that can depart from the body. Let's, let's talk about this a little bit more here. Well, one, one young lady told about a time that she and her, some of her friends were doing drugs and she passed out. And her friends thought that she was dead and so they just dumped her, behind, her her body behind a hedge. And while she was behind the hedge, she said that her soul left her body. And she looked down on herself and she could see everything that was going on. And friends, she's not alone in this type of experience. Others have had this similar experience. Someone else was once in an accident. And this man was loaded onto the back of an ambulance. And he said that as they were on the way to the hospital, his his, uh, soul left his body. And he followed the ambulance. And he could see everything that was going on. These out-of-body experiences, these near-death experiences occur, and people say, here's the evidence. Look, right here. I experienced it myself, so it must be true. And they conclude that we must have a soul that leaves our body. Now, one thing I would like to point out is that people who have these near-death experiences typically have them when they're under a great deal of stress. Is that right? Maybe they're on a hospital table in in an operating room. Maybe they're doing drugs and their life is hanging by a thread. And that's when they have their out-of-body experience. Pilots and centrifuges under tremendous amounts of G-forces have been known to have these out-of-body experiences. If you stimulate a certain region of the cerebral cortex, you can have an out-of-body experience. But you never hear of someone who's just relaxing at the beach down in Florida, just chilling, and then all of a sudden they have an out-of-body experience. Never hear that. You never, you never hear of a librarian who says, Well, it was a particularly quiet Thursday uh, there in the library, and I had an out-of-body experience. You just don't hear that, friends. It's people who are under a great deal of stress who experience this. So what does that tell us? Well, look at this statement from the washington post it says a new study suggests that these out-of-body and near-death experiences may be influenced by a portion of the brain misfiring under stress they spoke about this little part of your brain called the angular gyrus the angular gyrus helps helps you process sensory information it affects how you perceive your body And what they're suggesting is that when this little part of the brain is under stress and misfires, that's when an out-of-body experience may result. And we all know, friends, that people's minds can sometimes do strange things, right? Under certain circumstances, you can sense some of the strangest things. If you're put under the right or wrong conditions, the result can be an out-of-body experience. But it does not suggest to us that we have a soul that leaves the body it's simply the brain that's playing tricks on you and that would be consistent with what we with what we see here in the bible amen Amen. so let's dig just a little bit deeper into the bible into this mystery of death it's crucial that we understand it friends because satan is going to try and deceive us in these last days in this very way so let's see what jesus believed about death as christians we want to be followers of jesus amen amen So we want to know what Jesus believed. One day, Jesus and his disciples were traveling, and they were on their way to visit the home of some of their friends, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. But as they were on the way, Jesus got the news that Lazarus had become very sick and that he had died. Yet instead of rushing there, Jesus waited three days before arriving at the home. And while they were on their way there, Jesus made this statement to his disciples. He said this in John eleven eleven. 11. He said, our friend Lazarus does what? He sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of what? His death. But they thought that he was speaking about taking a rest in sleep. Basically, they thought he was talking about taking a nap, right? Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So for Jesus, as for all the Bible writers, death is but a sleep. So we see that Jesus eventually visited Lazarus' home and that he raised him from the dead in demonstration of his power. And this miracle that Jesus performed would be a powerful testimony of his resurrection power for all of humanity at the end of time. But listen what Jesus said here to Martha once he got there. He said, your brother will rise again. And notice how Martha responds. She said, Martha said to Jesus, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. So here we see that Martha, who received her religion from Jesus himself, believed that her brother would be resurrected when? In the last day, when when Jesus or the Messiah was to come. So Jesus came to the tomb And he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out of the grave. It would have been a spectacular thing to see, friends. Now, let's suppose that Jesus came to the grave. And and if what many people believe about death is true, and Lazarus would have been up in heaven, Jesus would have said something different. He would have said, Lazarus, come down. you know. But instead, he said, Lazarus, come forth. Now, I'll tell you something, friends. If I was Lazarus, and if I was up in heaven and I had been there for three or four days and Jesus said, come down, Lazarus, I would have looked down and said, no, Lord, please don't make me go back down to this sick world. I'm really enjoying heaven. <laughs> and you would have said that too, right? If you would have been in Lazarus' shoes. But the, the thing is, is Lazarus, he didn't have that conversation with Lazarus. He said, Lazarus, come forth. So if what people believe is true and that the dead go to heaven instantly or hell, then Lazarus Lazarus should have written a whole book on what it was like to be in heaven. You know, we have all these books that are coming out on heaven. He could have written a whole book of the Bible talking about the glories of heaven and what heaven was like. But Lazarus was silent about heaven. And that was because he was simply sleeping until the resurrection. Exactly like Jesus said and exactly like Martha believed. So the resurrection of Jesus is proof that Jesus will one day raise our believing loved ones as well. Friends, it's wonderful to know that God has marked the graves of our loved ones. It's encouraging to know that the heartaches of earth um, that they were so troubled with are now over, that they're no longer battling those illnesses and they're no longer suffering through them. And what can, be, what can be more reassuring to us as Christians to know that they are simply sleeping until the resurrection? I find great comfort in that, friends. But there are some out there that insist that their loved ones are in heaven and, and that they're watching over them here on this earth. And some have said, Oh, I like to think about my mother being up in heaven looking down on me. But friends, what if you have a husband that abuses you and your mother is up in heaven and she's watching that abuse? What if a mother dies and she's up in heaven and her children, one of her children runs out in front of a car in the street and gets hit and she has to watch the whole thing? What if a mother is up in heaven and her child goes astray and he starts doing drugs and, and, and ruining his life? Do mothers in heaven bear all the grief for their children here on this earth? Friends, I believe God is too merciful for that. Instead, God lets them simply rest in the grave. Job chapter 14 verse 21 describes how much a dead person knows. The Bible says, If his sons are honored, he does not know it. If they are brought low, he does not see it. And why is that, friends? Because they're simply sleeping. So death is a state of perfect rest or sleep until the resurrection when Christ wakes you up and says, now all the sorrow is over. Friends, when you die, you don't know any passage of time. And that's why the Bible says this. In Psalm 115, verse 17, it says, the dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. Friends, if the dead were up in heaven, what would they be doing? They would be praising God, right? They would be just praising his, his holy name and having a wonderful time. But throughout the Bible, it describes death as a sleep. And the Bible is very plain on this topic. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, he says, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Friends, when we commit our lives to Christ, and when, and when we die to self, we die to our old way of life. Our life and our identity is now hidden with Christ In God, the Bible says, and when we literally die, our genuine identity, our genuine life is still hidden with Christ in God. And the Bible says, it continues on, it says, and when Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him. Where? In glory. So when that loved one died as a believer, their life was hidden with Christ in God. God has preserved their true identity, and they simply sleep. There is no perceived passage of time. They don't know about the trauma that their family is facing. They're simply resting in peace. And when Christ comes, friends, the graves will be opened, and they will be caught up to meet Jesus in the air. It will be the most exciting event ever. Amen? We will get to see Jesus face to face. What a day of rejoicing that will be, friends. But some may wonder, well, what about the thief on the cross? What did Jesus mean when he was talking to the thief on the cross and he promised, he said, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Did Jesus himself go to paradise on that day? Well, Let's, let's look at this a little bit closer, friends. Let's let Jesus answer. Now, you remember that Jesus was crucified on which day? Friday, Friday which is the preparation day. And he rested on the tomb on Sabbath. But on Sunday, the first day of the week, it says that he was resurrected from the dead. And that morning, Mary ran to the tomb. And although Mary did not recognize Jesus at first, look at what happened when she finally did. She falls at his feet to worship him. Let's look at the story here in John chapter 20, verse 15. The Bible says, uh, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir... If you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. And she said to her, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. So how could... Christ have said to the thief on Friday that he would meet him in paradise on that day when Jesus himself didn't even ascend to the father until after he was with Mary on Sunday morning. Now remember he said this to Mary he said do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to my father but if we believe Jesus met the thief on Friday up in heaven it contradicts the entire biblical teaching on this topic of death. Second, if Jesus had not yet ascended to his father on, on Sunday morning, how could he have told the thief on Friday that they'd be in paradise that very day? Are we forced to believe either Christ's words to the man, uh, to the thief on the cross, or do we believe Christ's words to Mary on Sunday morning? Well, friends, when we encounter an apparent contradiction like this, Uh, we immediately realize that there is something wrong. And it's not with the Word of God, friends. Amen? It's not with the Word of God, but it's with our limited understanding of the Word of God. And so we need to look deeper into it. But this apparent contradiction instantly disappears with the simple movement of a comma. The placement of a comma can make a world of difference, friends. And we must remember that punctuation, the punctuation that is found in the Bible is clearly not inspired what do i mean by that well in the original greek new testament there was absolutely no punctuation at all very different from what we're used to right we have nice such nice punctuation it makes things easy to read and but but in the original greek manuscripts it was all uh, there was no punctuation at all that wasn't added until about 1400 a.d that is 1400 years after the time of christ So although God's word is inspired, the punctuation was certainly not inspired. So let's look at the difference that a comma can make here. Let's look at this sentence here. A woman without her man is nothing. Okay, let's add some commas to it, okay? A woman without her man is nothing. (laughs) You guys see uh, that punctuation can make a big difference? And it certainly makes a difference when it comes to Christ's statement uh, to the thief on the cross. Look at what Jesus said in Luke twenty-three, forty-three. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now by placing the comma before the word today, it gives the impression that the thief and Jesus would be in paradise on that very day, right? but the entire meaning of the sentence changes if you put the comma after the word today like this and jesus said to him assuredly i say to you today you will be with me in paradise so how do we know where this comma should be placed friends well here's how you know first the passages in the bible do not contradict each other that's very important to remember when god says 53 times that death is asleep When God says 1,600 times that there is no immortal soul, when the Bible says for the living know that they will die, but the dead know how much? Nothing. Nothing. Friends, you know that you have to place the comma by placing it with the bulk of Scripture. That's the only safe place to put it is with the bulk of Scripture. But there's also another reason, friends. It's also highly unlikely that the thief even died on that Friday. Look at what the Bible says in John 19, 32. The Bible says, Then the soldiers came, and that is the Roman soldiers, and they broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with him. Now, friends, why would they break the legs? Is it because they were dead? No, that wouldn't make any sense. It would be because they were still alive. And the Jews didn't want them to remain on the cross on the Sabbath day. Often it took at least two days For a person to die from crucifixion. So the soldiers broke the legs of the thieves so that they wouldn't run away, friends. Then they took them in their half uh, dead condition and likely threw them into a human garbage heap to let them die there, rather than keep them on the cross over the Sabbath day. So, friends, there is no clear indication in the Bible that the thief even died on that Friday. So when Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you today, at this moment, you will be with me one day in paradise. So what day would that thief go to paradise? Resurrection. It would be on the glorious resurrection morning when Christ comes again to rescue his people. So some say, okay, pastor, well, I see that. I get that. I, I get what you're saying. But then the question comes up. Doesn't the Bible say something about being absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Yes. Well, let's look at what the Bible says, friends. Let's look at that in 2 Corinthians chapter five, verses six through eight. Paul writes this. He says, "So we, all, so we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord." Amen. Here, Paul was stating his desire was to not be home in this old body, but he wanted to be in the presence of God. And friends, we probably all wish that we were in the presence of God and not in these old bodies. Amen? Amen. So Paul says, if I had it my way, I would be out of this old body and I would be present with the Lord. But when you look at this uh, verse carefully in the context, what Paul is really saying is that he really hopes to be translated to heaven without seeing death because Paul told us when he would be present with the Lord this is what uh, he said he was writing to the Corinthians the very same people that he wrote that other passage in and, it, and he says when he would be present with the Lord 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one says behold I tell you a mystery we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet now notice when Paul said that would happen When when did he say that would happen? At the last trumpet, right? Not now, not when you die, but at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the Bible says, and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Think about that for a moment, friends. Remember, if people die and they go straight to heaven, there's absolutely no need for a resurrection, Elsewhere in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 5 through 8 Paul says this. He says for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. In other words, Paul is about to die here and he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will give to me on that day and not to me only But also to all who have loved his appearing. So Paul knew that he would receive a crown of righteousness at the same time that everyone else receives the crown of righteousness. And when would the righteous receive it? On that day, friends, on that day. That is the day that Jesus comes back when he resurrects the righteous who have died, and when the living are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So all Paul is saying back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and, and verses 6 through 8 is that he really just wanted to be translated and to be with the Lord without having to experience death. And I hope and pray that that can be our experience, friends. I, as we are living near the return of Christ, I hope and pray that all of us can be translated and meet the Lord in the air. But friends, even if we die, it's okay. Because we know that the next thing that we will see is What? We will see Jesus coming in the clouds of glory, and we will see his face. Friends, in death there is no awareness of the passage of time. The next thing believers will know is that they'll see Christ coming, and so they will ever be with the Lord. And that's why Paul said that he had a desire to depart and be with the Lord. Look at what, what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. He said, for, me to, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh this will mean fruit for my labor yet what I choose what yet what I shall choose I cannot tell for I am hard pressed between the two having a desire to depart and be with Christ which is far better Now friends Paul is not contradicting himself here from the text that we've already looked at here in scripture Paul believed that he would see Christ at the resurrection which takes place when at the last trumpet, at the second coming of Jesus. And that is when he would be crowned with righteousness. He would be receive the crown of righteousness, which would be given to him on that day, and not to him only, but also to all who love his appearing. Do you love his appearing, friends? Amen. I hope and pray that we will all look forward to his appearing. Friends, it's important to dig deep into the context of Scripture. Don't let people tell you that one verse contradicts everything else the Bible has to teach on a particular topic. Instead, we look at the more difficult verses in light of everything else that the Bible said on that topic. Paul loved living for Christ, but he saw that death was just asleep. And he knew that the next thing that he would see would be Christ returning. In the same book of Philippians, chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says this He says, For our citizenship is where? It's in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. So again, Paul's desire is for the second coming of Christ. He longed to see Jesus face to face. To him death was gain, for, for it meant freedom from the pains of a weary body, it meant deliverance from the bondage of a Roman prison, and total security from the temptations of Satan. To Paul death was a sleep with no awareness of the passage of time. Paul knew that after closing his eyes in the sleep of death, that he would open them to depart and be with Christ in the air. And that is far better. Amen? Yes, it is. That is far better than living life on this old earth. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55 says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends, have you lost a loved one to death? Yes. I'm sure we all have. The good news is, is that death has lost its sting. The good news is is that the grave cannot hold us because Jesus went into the grave and he rose victorious. Amen? And now our life is hid with Christ in God. Our identity is solid in him. Our name is on his lips. He's written pardon on the palms of his hands for you and for me. And when he comes again, he will say, Joe, come forth. He will say, Mary, come forth. When Christ comes, he knows you and he calls you by name. That dead loved one will come up out of the grave and look at what the Bible says in Revelation 20, verse 6. It says, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. So the second death is eternal death, uh, which is eternal separation from God. We'll take a look at that in our second presentation here tonight. But there is no eternal death for the believer. Amen? For the Christian, the first death is simply a sleep. It is simply a rest. It's like taking a nap, basically, until Jesus comes. And the next thing you know is you open your eyes and you're seeing him come in all of his glory. So it is only death from a human standpoint, but not from God's standpoint. It's just a moment, really. And although believers may die that first death, friends, it's not final. It's not eternal. Because the Bible says, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. One day soon Jesus will come, and he will stream down the corridor of the sky, and the earth will be illuminated with the glory of God. The dead will be resurrected and receive new glorious immortal bodies, and with the living they will be caught up to meet Christ in the air. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 describes this event. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven, how? With With a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ, Will rise first think about this friends if we are already in heaven with christ immediately after we die why would there be a glorious event at the second coming of jesus if souls can live in heaven without a body for thousands of years in heaven why come back and get their body at the second coming of christ it makes absolutely no sense all the bible points forward to one glorious climactic event and that's why Christians have always looked for and longed for the second coming of Jesus. Because they've always believed that the righteous dead will be resurrected at the coming of Christ. And they've always looked forward to meeting their dead loved ones. 1 Corinthians 4.17 continues to describe this, res- this resurrection at Christ's second coming. It says this, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, that is, those that have died and are, that are already up in, um, up in the clouds there with Jesus, Says Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord where? In the air and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Friends when Jesus comes streaming down the sky the righteous dead are resurrected and they're given immortal bodies. You, you will see that baby that you've laid in the grave again friends. You will see that father that died of cancer you can see him again. That mother that you've lost, you can embrace them once again. Together we will be caught up to meet Christ in the sky. And think of the excitement, friends. This will be the most amazing event this world has ever seen. What a blessing it will be to see family and friends reunited. I can't wait for that day. How about you? Aren't you thankful that Jesus has conquered death? You don't have to be afraid of death if you know the life giver, friends. And you can know him today. He's knocking on your heart's door. So tonight, I want to ask you, I want to make an appeal to you. Would you like to recommit your life tonight to the life giver? Is that your desire, friends? Like to recommit your life to the life giver? Let's pray as we close our, our message. Father in heaven, Lord, we want to recommit ourselves to you today. Lord, you are the life giver. Lord, we've seen that you are the creator God. You created this world out of nothing. And you formed us, Lord, from the dust of the earth. And you breathe into us the breath of life. And Lord, we owe everything to you. Our existence, Lord, everything. Everything that we have is yours. And Father, we thank you for this truth about death. Lord, the world is so confused on this topic there's so much deception going around lord so many uh experiences that people are having that are contrary to the word of god but lord help us to see that we should trust your word more than we trust our feelings more than we trust these experiences that people are having lord help us to to realize that your word can be trusted and that it's reliable for us in the 21st century and lord we pray that we would memorize your word that we would Claim its promises, Lord, that you will one day come again soon and that you will rescue us from this sin-filled planet. Lord, we look forward to that day. It's, it's, it's something that we look forward to with great anticipation, just like Paul, who was eagerly awaiting your coming. Lord, we want to be reunited with our loved ones. We want to be reunited, Lord, with you. We want to see you face to face in all your glory and Lord, we pray that you would prepare us for that great day. Lord, that you, would, that you would cleanse us, Lord, of all unrighteousness, like the Bible says, and that you would purify us to be your people in these last days. Lord, bless each one of us. Thank you for your word. And Lord, may we be comforted as we understand what happens when you die, Lord. We love you and we thank you for your word. And, and, and thank you, Lord, for revealing this to us is our prayer. And we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.